Welcome home. You're listening to the Life Center Rainier Weekend Message. And it is such an honor to be a part of this family. I just want to tell you sincerely, we love you. We are so honored to be a part of what God's doing here. And he's up to some good things. Amen? Amen. Well, we are in week five of the Paradigm Shift. Paradigm Shift is the collection of, of conversations we've been in. And this is week five. How many of you have been here for all five weeks? Come on. Yeah, come on. You get a, two stars by your name. You get a house next to a disciple in heaven uh, of your choice. Don't choose Peter. He's wilding. You know, he's crazy. He made it to heaven but by the skin of his teeth. And some of us, like me, are going to be there because of that. And, uh, but God is good. Amen. And uh, this conversation, this collection has really afforded us um, some opportunities to really dive deep into God's word. We've been doing this survey of sorts of uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And and ultimately, we pre-plan to really conclude the conversation this week. But let me just say this. um, God's speaking, and he's continuing to gleam some of his word, really revealing it to us to say, I want to continue this conversation. So we're going to keep going. Some of you have downloaded some of the content online. It's going to stop online today, but we're going to keep going for the next couple weeks because God's still speaking and we're going to keep pressing into his word. Anybody with me on that? Awesome. So forgive us, but uh, uh, when the Holy Spirit speaks, we just obey. It's our only response. But we're in week five of the paradigm shift, and it is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we really have been leaning in. This has been incredible time in the scriptures, and I really believe he is going to speak to us today. Are you ready to receive? Amen. Uh, Go with me. Put your finger in your Bible. If you brought your paper Bible, you get three additional points today. If you have your Bible on your phone, just to remind you, that's the phony Bible, and it doesn't count. J.K. Maybe you brought an iPad. Doesn't matter. You can use your eyelids, and we're going to have it on the screen, okay? Matthew chapter 7. We'll be in verses 1 through 6. And just before we get into the scripture, I want to give us just a, a little preface. The title of my, uh, my conversation today is Seeding Assignment. Seeding Assignment. You know, I'll give you just a, a little brief uh, story that'll help preface this portion of scripture. When I was a young person, I was born in Ta. Coma. Come on, anybody born in Tacoma? Yeah, I'm a cat. It's backwards. And uh, I was born, hey, some of you will get that later. And uh, it's like a boomerang. Oh, he said, okay, got it. And uh, come on, Tacoma General, anybody? Any Tacoma General, right? Yeah, St. Joe's, where you at, right? Right? Hi, Lakewood General, anybody remember? Yes, it's not there anymore. It's like a food supply for animals. It's okay. Um, But I was born in Tacoma, and at about the ripe age of five years old, I moved to Las Vegas, Nevada. Anybody been to Vegas before? Right? Yeah? Okay, we're going to pray a lot today at the end of service. (laughs) Jesus. And uh, so I moved to Vegas uh, when I was five and lived there until I was about 17. And when I was there at about 12 years old, this is when the greatest college basketball team of all time won the national championship, the UNLV Running Rebels. Come on. Woo! None of you are excited because none of you are fans. It's okay. I can be a fan for you. Larry Johnson. Stacy Ogman, Greg Anthony. We went to the same um, high school, grew up in the same neighborhoods. He was quite a bit older, but I got kicked out of the school. I had to go to another school. That's another message for another day. Come on, don't judge me. Maybe you will. You're judging my shirt. 
come on, how many are enduring the Hallmark movies? My gosh, Jesus, help me. It's so great. My wife loves it. But we, we have this online streaming service that only one person can be on at one time. And I'm trying to watch ESPN, you know what I'm saying? But she, uh, happy wife, happy life, whatever. I love you, girl. And uh, so uh, it, was, it, was, it was the Rebels had just won the national championship. We were going back to back. Come on. And, and we were undefeated. And at this point, we had to go to a game. So I, I grew up in a neighborhood that we didn't leave like a four-block radius. You didn't go outside of your neighborhood. And, and the fact uh, that we would get to go to a basketball game was kind of a big deal. So um, this was back when they would do like these uh, things on the radio. You could like try to win tickets to the game. Anybody remember back in the day, you call the radio station, call it, ting, ting, and some of you young people are going, was he beatboxing? What's he doing? <laughs> and uh, we would call and be like, nah, nah, click, hang up, call again. Do you remember? And you had your own private phone line or your sister did and she would freak out because you took it and it's got like a 76 foot uh, length cord and you just take it in your room and close the closet door. Like, what are they doing in the bathroom? I was praying. No, I was calling the radio station because I'm trying to win some tickets. So I told all my friends, we're going to win some tickets to this game. So all my friends, we were calling. We got, guess what happened? We won tickets. And we got four, whoa. And we got four tickets. And the four friends, we got to go to the basketball game. We were so excited. We thought these are the best tickets in the world because they started with the letter A. They met, matter of fact, they must have been so good, they had like multiple A's on them. We're like, wow, these are incredible tickets. Then we get to the Thomas and Mack Center. It's like the Tacoma Dome, but a little more ghetto. You know what I'm saying? And so, and you know the Tacoma Dome's pretty, <laughs> so you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so we went to the Thomas and Mack, and we got our tickets. We walk in, and we're like, okay, where's our ticket? Where's our and we're like, okay, A, this is one A. Where's, there's more Okay, we're going to go, hey, 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 oh, hey, oh. So we climbed all the way to the mountain, and we got to our seats, and our necks were literally talking, touching the top of the Thomas and Matt, and we were like, oh, my gosh, we could see everything from here. Hello, hello. <laughs> but we didn't care. We were in there. We got free tickets. And I used the money that I had to get a soda, the little one that was only $17. And I drank it as fast as I could, and I punched out the bottom of it. And I'm like, rebels. It's like Jerry Tarkanian chewing on his towel. If you need a visual imagery, just look at Steve Morton and put a towel in his mouth. Similar, similar. Younger version, obviously better looking. I'll just stop. <laughs> but we were in this game. We were so excited. We were in the game. And, and, and during the game, there were some questionable calls going on. And we're sitting up in our seats way up in the nosebleed. They call it nosebleed because of the altitude. Literally, I think one of my guys' nose started bleeding. It was like, Ew, that's yucky. <laughs> and so we're up there. And so this one of our players kept getting called for fouls. And we're like, boo! Bad call, ref. Get a job. Come on, you're terrible. Anybody ever heckled the refs before? Right? Come on, just be honest. It's church. Jesus already knows. <clears throat> Boo, terrible. 
Well, at this point, the rebels are blowing everybody out, so people start leaving. So there's seats that become available on courtside. So being the advantageous uh, young entrepreneur that I was, I told my friends, guys, let's go. <laughs> and they're like, no, we'll get in trouble. I was like, stop, quit being a baby. I'm seven. I'm a grown man of 12. Let's go. Who let their children go to this game? Never mind. And so we start climbing down from the mountaintops, right? Rocky Mountain High. And so we're, we're coming down, you know, we're getting down. And we got down to the court side seating. And I tell my friends, sit down like you own the place. They're like, excuse me? I was like, don't make eye contact with anybody that questions you. Just act like these are your seats. And they're like, yeah, it's on your mama. I'm like, whoa, what? Why do we got to involve mothers? This is crazy. You guys are ridiculous. So we go in, go in, we sit down, we're sitting on the front lines. It's incredible. We can hear the squeak of their shoes. We can smell the sweat of their brow. I remember I saw the, the team at, at the mall one time. I fanboyed. I think I fainted and maybe peed a little bit. I don't know what happened. I blacked out. I blacked out. <clears throat> But it was incredible. We were so close to the action. But we, the, the, the things that we were telling them was so terrible when we sat so high up in our seats is that we didn't realize that the referee could see. John, come here really quick. This, this game was going on, and my favorite player, Greg Anthony, kept holding. Anybody know old man basketball? Stop being so dramatic. <laughs> yeah, and so was that a LeBron move? <laughs> Wow, judgment. And um, so what we didn't realize is he kept holding people. He kept, he was playing old man basketball because they were up so big and they just messing with the other guys a little bit. And so the ref kept calling him on it. But here, go ahead and sit down. You're great. Thank you. Give it up for John. Bless you. So dramatic. It hurt, he said. <clears throat> but here's where we're going today in the context of the scripture that we're going to share, we're going to talk about judgment. How many of you are excited you came to church? Everybody goes, oh gosh. But the problem is, is that we had a perception based on the position that we were in, sitting in our seats, and because of where we sat, we now allowed it to determine our perception, and because of our vantage point, we made up an opinion and judged and assessed the situation and responded as such. Let me say it like this. The loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. When we don't get engaged with the reality of what people are going through, we are going to constantly be disproportionately disassociated and sit ourselves in a seat that hasn't been assigned to us, but we're going to sit in a seat that we now take upon ourselves as judgment and not allow God in his grace to allow us to see through the lens of life and shift our paradigm and not to see things as we perceive them to be, but start to assess and identify things differently and stop with our booze and get to a point where we start to believe the best in other people. We start to stop assuming the worst and start get to believe the best. And when we sit in the wrong seat, we can't make right assessments. And the worst judgments come from the most restricted views. 
I remember one time we bought tickets to the Mariners game. Yeah, I still go. Come on. <laughs> Obviously a man of faith. But the ticket price was a little bit less, but it had this little star next to it. It says Obstru- obstructed view. I was like, how bad could it be? I got there, and there was literally a pole in front of my face. I was like, how much was this seat? It was only a dollar more. What? Why didn't we? <laughs> Doesn't matter. They're going to lose anyway. <laughs> Just, nope, I'm serious. It's <laughs> But we're going to engage with a portion of scripture that talks about judging, making judgments. And as we break down this portion of scripture, there's some elements that ultimately Jesus engages with. And he talks about specks and planks and dogs and pigs and pearls. And this might seem like some randomness, but let me just say, it's going to all make sense here in just a minute. Go with me now to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. We're going to break this portion of scripture down. We're going to read through chapter 6. It, it reads as this. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Now, let's just pause for a second. Go back just one verse. Because the truth is, if you haven't grown up in church or you've never opened the Bible, you've heard this before. And matter of fact, we, I just read it. Do not judge or you too will be judged. But you've never heard it said like that. You've heard it said like this. Don't, don't you judge me. You judge me, you go, you're going to be judged, right? Anybody? Come on. You don't say that without a little attitude, a little swagger, right? And I'm not talking about Jimmy. I'm saying you, you, you only say that when somebody's coming at you. And you start coming back. Don't you judge? Like, only God can judge me. Thug life. Why'd you get that tatted on your stomach? Calm down. <laughs> and so we, we, we come combatively. When you feel judged, come on, how many of you have felt judged before? The fact is, is all of us have. And when you feel judged, it puts you and positions you and paints you into a corner where your only response is to fight. But the problem is, is that we've positioned ourselves in the wrong place and we have the wrong seating assignment. I'm going to go on, okay? We'll break this down a little bit more. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged for the same way you judge others. You will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You Hypocrite. How many of you are excited you came to church today talking about judging and hip, 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 hip hop anonymous, right? <laughs> you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample on them under their feet and turn to tear you to pieces. See, the... The premise of this entire portion of scripture always is in the preface. There was some scripture points that were made out previous to this portion of scripture in chapter 7. And right before this, in chapter 6, verse 1 through 18, it emphasizes our worship. Okay? Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 34, it goes and talks about our wealth and our resources. Now, in chapter 7, verses 1 through 12, it talks about our walk. So he goes from worship to wealth to our walk. And right before this, in Matthew chapter 6, as we talked about last week, he talked about worry. Do not worry. 
But now all of a sudden, we engage the conversation of judging others, and we start worrying about what other people are doing. And the problem is, is we're not more concerned about our own problems, but we start to project our pain of past judgment on other people, and it puts us in the wrong seat. And our seating assignment matters. And let's talk about a couple seats here. This first seat is the seat of judgment. We are the judge and the jury. When we sit on the seat of judgment, we identify, condemn, and call out anything that would come against the character qualities of Christ. You sinner. Ooh, yeah, I'm excited to came to church. This is what I thought it was going to be about. Just journey with me here. So we judge, we condemn, and we want to be in control. Get out of the way. I'm in control. I sit in this seat, the judgment seat. But there's another seat that's been saved for us that Jesus says, don't sit in the judgment seat, sit in the servant seat. Don't talk about other people and how terrible they are. Why don't you pick up a towel and ask them, which foot do you want me to wash first, your left or your right? So he says, we don't sit in the seat of judgment. We sit in the seat of a servant that are ready and and engaged and willing to assess and identify and then to do what we can do in our strength to make a difference. They take the light of Christ and they allow it to be illuminated in their own life, identifying the dark sides of life to engage us in a dark world to say, God, this is the work of Christ that you're doing in me. And I'm so thankful that you would allow me the liberties of your grace to be lavished on me, that the light of Christ can be shined in me. But the problem is, is that we put ourselves in the wrong position and we take the light and we start shining it in other people's eyes and start interrogating. Come on, anybody ever, this may be PTSD for some of you have been pulled over before and this is like freaking you out a little bit. Maybe it's just me. Anyways. But he says, previous to this portion of scripture, he says, you are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Come on. This little light of mine, oh, I'm going to let it shine. Come on. I'm not going to put it on a bushel. Uh, uh, uh. I don't know how the children's song goes. I didn't grow up in kids' church, but I think it's a good song. I start doing crazy stuff. My kids are like, Dad, that's not how this song goes. And why are you doing those weird hand motions? What are you doing? I don't know. I was just having fun. Calm down. But we need to allow the illuminating light of Christ to be shined in our life so that we in turn can allow the lights of our life to illuminate other people's lives as well. So in verse one, this is the most misquoted verse in all of the earth. We take it out of context and we allow it to tell us, to give us the liberties to take the wrong seat. And we self-appoint ourselves in a place, in a position that God would never have given us. And that's the place of condemnation. But those of us that would allow our minds to be captured, to be renewed and restored, transforming our thinking and and putting on the mind of Christ, and we can now identify that we're not going to put ourselves in a seat that we were never meant to sit in. We are going to take the accurate seat of a servant, and we're going to now not just dismiss the reality of what the word is saying in assessment, 
But now we will not condemn, but we will discern. There's two clear distinctions here. We are never to be the one that would sit in the seat of condemnation. We are the ones to sit in the seat of discernment. The problem is, is that at maybe at one point, somebody said, quit judging me. And you're like, I'm judging people. And we, we, we take our light and we take our gavel and we go, oh my gosh, I'm hurting someone's feelings. And I'm going to put down the gavel. But the problem is, is that we put down the light too. And we're never to put down the light. We're continuing to allow it to illuminate our life. And when your light is lit up, your life is lit up, guess what? It's going to illuminate wherever you go. And the problem here is that we find ourselves like a shopping cart with a bad wheel. We constantly will combat the realities of our tug and pull to position our seat to be the seat of judgment and not give ourselves to the seat of service. So the two distinct differences here, the seat of service is for discernment, but the seat of judgment is for condemnation. Here's the distinct differences. Discernment does this. It identifies and assesses clearly. It says dogs are not cats. Apples are red. Oranges are orange. But condemnation comes in and says apples are good. Oranges are bad. All dogs go to heaven. All cats go to help us, Lord. Let's just stop the conversation right there. Do you see the distinct differences is that he's not saying we should not judge because scripture will always interpret scripture. We read the scripture and say, do not judge, therefore you, least thee be judged. But what does John chapter 7 verse 24 say? It says we're to make right judgment. We're to assess things not based on mere appearance, but to judge correctly. How do we judge correctly? Well, we get the right order of understanding in which Jesus told us to position ourselves. John 1, 17 says that Jesus is grace and truth. The problem is, is that we misappropriate those words in the wrong position, and we put truth in front of grace. I've heard a preacher even go as far as to say, you know, Jesus was 50% grace and 50% truth. I will distinctly disagree with that because Jesus is the sum total of grace and he is all-encompassing truth and I am a byproduct of this truth in my life. But we won't know how good the truth is until we receive the goodness of his grace. What's the old saying? Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Until we understand the glory of the gift of God in his grace, we won't trust him at his truth. And let me go as far as to say it like this. The Bible says that his truth will set us free. And I believe that. And as much as truth sets us free, his grace is what keeps us free. It keeps us free from sitting in the wrong seat. And we identify who we are and where we're called to go and how we're supposed to live because we will sit in the right assigned seat. Amen? Amen. This context is, is coming back to this place of understanding we're not to adopt a critical spirit or a condemning attitude. Guess what? I'm going to start a new hashtag. There's hashtags out there of all hashtags. November time comes around and all these guys start looking gangly and nasty because it's no shave November, Right? How many of you guys are going to do No Shave November? It's okay. No judgment, right? John, we hope you do. You look weird when you shave. I, don't mean, I didn't mean weird. I just sat in the wrong seat there, didn't I? Okay. 
But we want to start a new hashtag. And I pray that we would all participate in this. We're going we're gonna to start this thing called hashtag no complain November. Anybody willing to give themselves to 30 days of no complain November? Come on. And so when we take the right position and posture and we start to value the right things, all of a sudden our paradigm shifts, our perspective change. No matter how far we are away from the problems, we can now start to perceive and see things as Jesus would see things and allow our lens of life to be viewed in a different way. And now we start seeing people the way that God sees people. Now we stop, stop seeing people as problems and we stop seeing them as projects and we start seeing them as the promises of God and now I'm the person of God that's been assigned to serve them to help them understand how good God is. And so we got to come back to this place where we were willing to submit ourselves and stop having these wrong approaches of having a judgmental spirit. And then the other side of that is a moral apathy. Well, then your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and that's okay. You do you, boo-boo, and I'm just going to do me. And there's no moral reality that we don't have to uphold any standards or value. Well, that would completely dismiss the authority of the infallible, immutable word of God and, and the Holy Spirit as he has proclaimed it to his people to not just live lives liberally, but this is for us to take our right position as he's empowered us by authority to be the people of God, that we don't have to uphold the standard, but we get to, by his grace, abide in it. Amen? And so when we understand this deep truth, we stop positioning ourselves in the wrong places because these attitudes will really play themselves out in actions. And you remember in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, previous to this, he talks about the poor in spirit. When we lose the positioning of understanding of the poor in spirit, what is the poor in spirit? The poor in spirit is saying, I am not good on my own accord. I am nothing apart from him. I am so depraved apart from the grace and glory of God that's lifted me up out of the pit of hell. And he's putting me in a place that I could not have achieved or aspired on my own. But he deems me worthy of the righteousness that he has so graciously lavished on me. And this is not my acts, my works, my deeds, but this is the goodness of God. And so this has nothing to do with what I've done. It has everything to do with who he is. And because of that, I now get to live a life of fullness. And now I don't falter or fail. No, you, we always do. We always blow it. But the beauty is, is the grace helps us bounce back and stop sitting in the wrong seat. Because people have judged you and placed, uh, they, they have projected their pain on you. That's what Basically, judgment is we take control of the situation and we try to control situations. We try to control scenarios. We try to control people. Control is not a reality. It's a perceived reality. God holds ultimate control and authority. The only reason you woke up this morning is because God's in control. The only reason you'll walk out of these doors encouraged, built up with a shot in your arm saying God is good is because God is in control and he got you in this place. But I got a couple quick teaching points that I want to make sure we walk out of here with some practical applications. And the first one is this. Number one, 
Seat selection is essential in the kingdom of God. Choose the right seat. We got to choose the right seat. When we understand this seat selection is so essential on what seat we sit in, we will constantly combat our knee-jerk tendencies to sit in the seat of judgment, and we will allow ourselves to understand the seat that's been assigned to us as a servant. But seat selection is essential. Over the period of time, it's adjusted from different seasons of life. In the early stages, seat selection mattered in, in the cafeteria, right? You remember that? It wasn't dependent upon what table was where. It was dependent upon what people were at what table. Do you remember this? You walk in the cafeteria. I, I'm going to sit over here because those guys are booger eaters. I ain't going over there. Anybody remember those friends? If you don't remember them, maybe you were the one that was doing that, and we'll pray for you. I tell my daughter all the time, boys are nasty. Just walk with me, stay with me until you're 35, and then we'll figure out your next step. <laughs> Lunchroom, cafeterias, don't sit over there with those people. It's all about association, right? Then the next is about authority, positional authority, right? How many of you have dads with a recliner? Anybody got like the dad chair? And nobody sits in dad's chair. Except if dad's gone and dad doesn't know and you're like, ooh, this is kind of nice. And dad comes in and you're like, oh my gosh, get out of the chair, get out of the chair. And dad sits down, why is my chair warm? I had Taco Bell at 2 a.m., I don't know. <laughs> so positional authority. So there's association, there's authority. But then we position ourselves in ways because we want the liberties. Come on, how many of you sat on a plane anytime recently? Oh my gosh, you know the emergency seating row now all of a sudden costs more money. Peanuts cost $19.95. Excuse me, miss, can I get another peanut? Yeah, absolutely. Can I see your credit card? That'll be $19.95. What? Can I get a ginger ale? Yeah, absolutely. No problem. That's $67.90. Come on, I got this cheap flight. No, it's not cheap. It's adding up pretty quick. But on, on planes... We position ourselves to have certain comforts and liberties, more leg room. We want to we want to sit in the seat that would make us feel a little more astute. I remember one time I I was flying back um, from a place and and my friend he had first class but he had an upgrade so I got to see, sit in the next step seating. It was the front bulkhead area and, and there was a mom in there with, with that got separated from her kid and and the stewardess uh, were like, hey, is there anybody that'd be willing to switch seats so this mom can sit with their son? And I was like. What? Huh? Sorry. I was just praying over here. And then the Holy Spirit just said, get up. Serve somebody. What are you going to do? Sit here and judge her the whole time because she was separated from her child? Would somebody get that kid to be quiet? Yeah, if somebody would have got off their keister and helped that sister, something would have changed. Hello. <laughs> but this... These elements of this seating assignment, all of a sudden, it's, it's about my, my position, my association. It's all about my comfort and my liberties. Here's the problem, is that we want all the liberties of sitting in the seat of judgment. We want none of the responsibilities. So if you can take the cross of Christ and free the world of sin, shame, blame, pain, anger, and depression, then you now have been qualified to sit in this seat, friend. Good job. But guess what? Good luck. None of us can uphold that standard of goodness in this life. There's different standards for sitting in some of these seats. <clears throat> they, they say, like, you have to be a certain strength. You have to be a certain maturity level, age. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm like beatboxing up here. 
You, 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 you can't travel with a pet. Some of you are like offended right now. I have to have Pookie with me. <laughs> Not able to speak the language of that airplane, that crew. These seats don't recline. All of a sudden, it's, it's different because we want the liberties, but we don't want the responsibilities. The problem is, is that you were never meant to sit in this seat. When we position ourselves in the place of judgment, we will get crushed. Josie said this, when the light of Christ is brighter in this world on me than it is in me, when this light of this world shines on me and it's not brighter in me, it will crush me. And the problem with this is we want the liberties of the positioning, but we don't understand the power of the responsibilities. None of us can uphold this standard. So why would we try to continue to position ourselves in this place? The problem is, is that we judge others. Here's how we judge others. We judge others based on their actions, and we judge ourselves based on our intentions. All of us do this, right? Do not judge, or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And like this verse I mentioned just previously, John 7, 24, he says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So we're not to stop assessing, we're just stop, we are to stop sitting in the wrong seat. Let me give you an example. A few years ago, I was uh, helping lead a church down in the Portland area, and I came in one Sunday and I heard somebody saying, did you see Pastor Jesse with those hoodlums? With their baggy shorts and their sneakers and their torn t-shirts? Matter of fact, he was even walking around all thuggish. I think he was going back to his roots of his Vegas days. I'm like, tell me more. <laughs> then I heard somebody else say, did you see our sweet pastor helping those down and out, those hoodlums that need Jesus so bad? You know, I even saw him walking. I don't know what was wrong with him. Maybe he was just trying to relate with them, but man, he's such a godly saint. Here's the problem with our perception is that it, it extremes on one of two ends. We overestimate or underestimate. Here's the reality. I threw out my back and I was meeting with a bunch of friends that had just got done playing basketball and they weren't thugs. They were just sweaty, nasty old men. <laughs> I wasn't that godly. I wasn't doing anything. I was trying to get a free coffee. I was like, I bought you coffee last time. You better buy me coffee. Oh my gosh. My back was out. Don't we assume the worst in others and assume the best in ourselves? Or we disproportionately put people on pedestals and judge them inaccurately. We are not to judge people based on mere appearances. We are to assess and discern to see where we can help play a difference. We sit in the wrong seat all the time. And when we sit in the seat, whether our judgments are favorable or not, the problem is, is that we're still trying to be the person in control. Get out of the seat. That's not your seating assignment. We're called to be servants. And sit in a different seat. Number two and finally, number two and finally is this. Before you and I can be helpful, we must first be humble. Do not judge, therefore you too will be judged for the same way you judge others. You will be judged with the measure to you. It will be measured to you. So we don't judge. Okay, I won't judge. I'll put down the gavel. I won't mess around with judging. But then he goes on and says, but there's dogs and there's pigs 
And you're not to throw your pearls. Matter of fact, he talks about false prophets. He tells us we need to be able to identify, assess, and discern, but not to be dismissive of or categorize. The problem is, is that we use the wrong definition. There's a myriad of definitions for different words. This word in the Greek, this word judge is krino, means moral assessment or legal assessment, and to decide or to distinguish. We get to put ourselves in the right place, the right seat, and to assess the things correctly. But the problem is, is that we can't help anyone else out with the plank or the speck until we humble ourselves and work on ourselves. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Remember in chapter 6, he says, don't worry. But now we get so caught up in worrying what other people are doing, and we try to control the situation. Well, they should not be doing that. Is that your seat? Is that your assignment? Well, this is injustice. No doubt. What is your seat? What is your assignment? Here's how we will know our seat and our assignment. Because there are some friends that we are called to engage with to a deeper level. Because the truth is, is that what he's saying here, he's, he's talking about a very sensitive subject. He uses the illustration. I honestly think Jesus was trying to be a little funny. Specks and planks. The people are like, ha, 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 Jesus. But he drops something on him. And he goes... We're talking about the way that you see. Whether you're sitting in a seat that wasn't assigned to you, and all of a sudden you're at such a height that there's such distance, that you're so lofty, you're so haughty, you're so positionally powered that you won't associate yourself with other sinners. Or you bought the wrong ticket. You have an obstructive view. There's such a plank and it's a problem. What's the problem? He's talking about the sensitivity of our sight. He's saying, you can't get help or you can't be help until you go gently and humbly. There's a scripture here. John chapter 3, 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. God did not come to condemn, so neither should you and I. We are Christ in his likeness in this life, and so we should come to help. Another scripture, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, let me, let me just engage. Brothers and sisters... Why is he saying brothers and sisters in this context? Because he's saying there's different rules for the family than there are for friends. There's different rules in the house than there are for guests. He's saying we need not judge those don't, that don't ascribe to following Jesus Christ. Get out of the seat of judgment. Get in the seat of a servant. We don't need to hold them to the same standards, same values. That's not for us to sit in that seat. But he goes on, he says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. What? What? 
talking about the house, talking about people of like-mindedness, people that have been regenerated, people that have been saved, the people of God. Gently, but watch yourself. Or you also may be tempted. Tempted to what? Tempted to judge. Verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens. And it's in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. We're not to throw stones, but we're to carry burdens. Do you remember Jesus when he had the woman caught in the act of adultery brought to him? And everybody was standing around waiting to stone her. And Jesus got down in the dirt. Guess what, friends? We got to get down in the mess. We got to be willing to get down and dirty and do what other people won't do. Jesus got down and a lot of things. People think they know what he was writing. Nobody knows what he was writing. But all I know is what he was writing was writing on their hearts. And one by one, you heard the rocks start to drop. He who is without sin, be the first. You think you sit in the seat of judgment? You think you can uphold these standards? Go ahead. I just love how we call this the woman caught in the act of adultery. How do you catch someone in the act of adultery if you're not standing there waiting in judgment? Go ahead, mess up. As soon as you do, we're going we're gonna to nail you. We need to help people gently restore them lovingly. We're talking about sensitive subjects. If you've ever been judged, you know that it's painful. And then we start judging people because we're projecting our pain. And the problem is, is that we're sitting in the wrong seat the whole time. We need a new seating assignment. We need to understand that we are not called to be the ones that would cast this judgment. But we would be the ones that would care for them lovingly and gently. Why is he saying a speck and a plank? He's talking about our perceptions, our paradigms, our views. You do not come in poking, prodding, and pushing when it comes to the eye. It's very delicate. You have to be sensitive. You have to be strategic. You have to be gentle. You have to be warm. Matter of fact, let me say it like this. You have to be connected and committed in community. And you can't just be casual in community because that produces casualties. We have to welcome people into the places that we are blind and have blind spots. We have to be willing to ask the question, what is it like to be with me? We have to be willing to invite people into our shadows. Tell me what no one else will tell me. I have some dark shadows. I have some difficulties in my life. And if I don't allow people around me to see things that I don't see, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to sit in the wrong seat. I'm going to continue to position myself in a power of of authority. I'm going to want all the liberties and take none of the responsibilities. And I'm going to miss the clear assignment. And if you've ever been to the eye doctor, they start, they blow, and they put the light And it's a little, hurts at first. You ever had somebody turn the lights on bright and early in the morning and you think to yourself, I might hurt them? When the light first comes in, it's a little hard to take. But the more you're in the light, 
the more our lives start to adjust. The more we start to adjust, the more we are starting to see that, wow, I wasn't bad. I don't need to be good. I was spiritually dead, and now I'm alive. I was asleep, but now I'm awake. Come on, what God has delivered me from is delivered me from my evil, from my sin, my shame, and he's given me a hope and a future. He's set me on a rock. I know where my help comes from, and no longer will I position myself to sit on the pinnacle. Jesus came to flip this whole thing on its head. He says, don't aspire or dream to position yourself at the top. You don't need to be the ultimate authority. You need to learn ultimate authority because when you learn it, you align it with it. And when you align with it, the spirit of God pours out you on such a greater degree. Now, all of a sudden, your life looks a lot different. He says, I come to flip this whole thing. I'm going to flip the whole script. The last is going to be the first. The least is going to be the greatest. Come on, the kingdom of God is here, and he has yet to arrive. But I tell you, friends, when the people of God rise up and get out of the seat of judgment and sit in the seat of service, guess what happens? People get saved. The power of God goes forward. We stop having a picture that's been painted about us, that we're judgmental, difficult, argumentative. I'm offended. You can be offended, but I'm going to love the offense right out of you. I, I just have a difficulty with your personality. That's fine. But can I buy you coffee? Can I live life with you? Can we be committed in community and not just casual? And I think it starts right here, right now. Some of you are nervous because the way I'm waving this around, I'm going to set it down. But these are relational endeavors. I care is a very delicate subject. And we have to humble ourselves and invite someone else into our shadows invite someone else into our life and say help me first and foremost I've got some obscurities I've got some planks and I've got some particles I've got some things that change the way that I see that I can't get out on my own it requires help from others the truth is body odor racism and your perception in this reality are all things that you cannot identify by yourself. We all need help. And the paradigm of God's grace will help shift us all to allow him to give us a new seating assignment. Amen? Amen. I want to invite you. Thanks for listening to the message today. For more information or to support this ministry, visit us online at www.lifecenterrainier.com.